0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. As a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages
1: of hope. Hello, everybody. This is Suzanne. Welcome back to the Messages of Hope show. I am an evidential medium. They call me the Messenger of Hope. And my goal is to help others to know that the greater reality exists, that this life is not all there is, and that we are souls having a human experience. And I have to tell you, the past 24 hours have been mind boggling for me. I deal with death every day as a medium, but from the perspective of connecting with those who have passed to the other side, I've only had just a couple of very close passings in my family, that of my father and of my stepdaughter Susan. Her passing is what propelled me on this path. It's what led me to know there is a greater reality. But just yesterday, we experienced the passing of a very dear friend, Brenda Baker, who was a guest on this show just a few weeks ago, a beautiful soul who had a spiritual awakening and knew what this life is all about. And I have brought through people from the other side who passed within a day of their passing. But Brenda made it so clear just before she passed and within hours of her passing that she crossed the veil and is still alive and kicking on the other side of the curtain. She has brought through so much evidence, but not only to me, but to others who are in her spirit of soul soul sisters and brothers in such a miraculous way. Brenda was to be a guest at the end of the month on this show, and I believe she will still be a guest as we celebrate the miracles that have happened in the last 24 hours at the end of this month. So I just wanted to, to share with you that the Miracles are ongoing when you realize that this reality is not the only one. And I have the greatest guest today who has discovered for himself the greater reality. I want to let him share his story with you. I just love this guy. His name is Ernie Jackson. Let me tell you a little bit about him before I bring you in. He's the husband of Christine, the father of Cheyenne and Quentin. He's a businessman, and he's a board member of Helping Parents Heal, the organization that helps Shining Light parents to realize that life is not the end. He's a man on a mission to help others know what he's learned through his own personal challenges. His books, Quentin's messages, and Quentin's legacy are resources, learning tools, for those who are just beginning their spiritual path, so please help me to welcome Ernie Jackson. Hi, Ernie.
2: Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so honored to be on the the same show with you. Well, Ernie,
1: I just I am excited to spend an hour in your beautiful energy. I met you first after I gave a talk at a conference, and then I've seen you at helping parents at the Helping Parents Heal conference, and then you came over. You and Christine came to our RV and spent a Beautiful evening with Ty and with me, just chatting, and you are just as personable and loving in person as you are when you're talking to groups. I know you share your story to groups, and it's truly inspirational to have a man share his emotions, share his story. And so that I hope that if we we, we generally have more female listeners than men on this show, but I hope that the women will have their husbands tune into the archived version later let's start off with a question that's really going to get you um really opening your your soul to all of us ernie before you tell us what led to your transformation i would like you to describe to those listening the ernie jackson that people would have met say 10 to 15 years ago
2: (laughs) I i was a different guy i um I was I was focused on the material world. I was I was at a singular focus on climbing the corporate ladder. I defined myself through my job. I defined myself through my performance on my job and the amount of money I was able to make. Um, I had a I had a singular focus on that, and 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 beyond that, I I had absolutely no clue there was anything beyond death. I um I just, I loved certain programs like uh, Ghost Whisper and, and, and Touched by an Angel. Mm-hmm. When I I, just, I thought they were, you know, great entertainment, it didn't, it just didn't click, it didn't dawn on me that those shows were even giving me, a, could be giving me a glimpse of what was going on. Um, and I was, I'm ashamed to say that I was the kind of guy that when somebody was suffering through the, the passing of a loved one, I wasn't there. I um I was the kind of guy. You know, I mean, so many of us are in that place where we want to fix things. We want to have a magic word or a magic phrase, and we want to fix things. And and I didn't know how to fix a friend mm. going through the transition of a loved one. So I was that kind of guy who I just wasn't around. I'm ashamed to say, but uh, that's who I was. That's who I was. And I, it, what's, what's ironic is um come come 2009, I I knew I needed i mean i was ready for an awakening i was ready i I looked skyward and raised my hands and said i'm ready i need i need something this isn't working out for me
1: (laughs) i got goosebumps with that one because we'll get there we'll tell people what happened in 2009 in just a few minutes but you you wrote in your book quentin's legacy um you before 2009 you were lost what does what does it mean to you to be lost in addition to what you just shared
2: yeah, no. It was it was not being connected. I was okay. I was I was not connected. I was I was just kind of in the wilderness, wandering around. I truly <laughs> yeah. I didn't know why I was here. I didn't have a purpose, okay. and it it came to dawn on me that um, you know making money wasn't my purpose. And I actually came to a point where I, I said to myself, I thought I was meant for something more. I mm. did, this. Mm. and and I was just like, okay, I'm I'm ready. All right, had oh. no clue oh. what was going to happen though. <laughs> that kind of okay. caught me off. Okay, and,
1: and without giving away what happened, who is Ernie Jackson today?
2: I'm here to serve. Um, I know because of my son. Because my son showed me I'm an eternal being. Because of what my son showed me, I know my struggles. I know what I still have to work on, because of the gift from my son, this gift of knowledge, I know how I am to serve and help others so yeah. it's kind of a you know it's kind of two pronged it's It's continue to work on myself and at the same time touch as many people as I can <laughs> hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's why I say you're a man on a mission. So why don't you take us back to 2009 and tell how this transformation began? Well,
2: 2009. I um, 2009 began, and I was uh, candidly miserable. I, uh, I was making a salary that I had, I had never made before. I was making good money. I, I didn't like my job. Um, I was ready for something, and um again, I was the kind of guy that emotionally detached, not in touch with anything, couldn't even understand signs, I couldn't even speak the language, but I felt change, and it's I mean, and the words don't accurately and properly enough convey what I'm trying to say. I felt change to the point that, over a course of weeks, I cleaned up my office. And that's just mind-boggling. But I felt changed to the point that I took all of my personal possessions out of my office.
1: Is, and let me interrupt you a second. Is this coming. before the incident with Quentin and the accident?
2: Yeah, this is before. Wow. This wow. is one of the first ahas. Um, as we, as well, I, <laughs> I also decided to bring a, a notebook on the uh, vacation. And I like I said, I didn't speak this language, but I... I up my daughter's 8th grade composition book that was mostly empty and I thought, I'd bring it with me in case something came to me. I didn't even know the term automatic writing. But I was Mm -hmm. so ready to receive that I brought a notebook. Um, That year we changed our plans, our vacation plans. We'll always go to Rocky Point to celebrate uh, the transition of my my father-in-law. He transitioned June 8th, 2003. And that year, there was a year of swine flu down in Rocky Point, and uh, there was a uh, a gang-related killing in Rocky Point. So everybody around us said, "Hey, guys, you really shouldn't go down there. Something bad might happen." And it's not lost upon me that we changed our vacation plans to avoid death. Hmm. Heading down to the vacation, we all of us were kind of out of sorts. We just felt like something was pursuing us. It just felt kind of uncomfortable. We uh, vacationed on Lake Powell and um, had a good time, Uh, but still, there was something there. And Quentin, nine and a half years old, he was different. He was kind of on edge. He didn't want to go too fast, and he spent a lot of time staring off at the space. You know, and again, I didn't know any of this, but I was present enough to acknowledge it, to recognize it and acknowledge it. that that something unusual was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, the vacation ended, and I actually had a a very vivid uh, dream. That plan was a vivid dream Uh, the day before Quentin transitioned. And I woke up, and Quentin was right there with me, and Christine was right there, and I said, I had this crazy dream where Quentin died. (laughs) And he said to me in a voice, that was kind of otherworldly. It wasn't his voice. It wasn't the voice of our nine-year-old Quentin. He said, Dad, it won't happen like that. I'll just swim away. <laughs> and, you know, 24 hours later, he was—he had done just that. So we, we pack up the next day. Um, you know, I'm a man on a mission in that I'm getting my family home safe. I've got new rubber on the trailer. I've got spares. I'm going to get everybody home safe. And uh, the trailer was giving us a bad time. And finally, the trailer failed right at four corners. Uh, highway 160 inside, uh, just inside of Colorado, just past mile marker one. Highway 160, the axle broke. We pulled off the road. We were 30 feet off the road. I know, because they measured. Yeah. <laughs> and our world changed. And our world changed. Um, a young lady at approximately 5.35 in the afternoon, on, uh, on June tenth, two 2009, fell asleep on the curve, of all things, no drugs, mm-hmm. no alcohol. Entered where we were on the passenger side of our Suburban and Hitch trailer. Hit me first. Christine saved my life by screaming, and I was able to take the blow on my hip as opposed to the small on my back. Mm-hmm. While I was up in the air traveling 18 feet, I know, because they measured. <laughs> she yeah. side our Suburban with so much force that the whole rig violently moved and then drove over the top of Christine. And then I landed yeah. to that freak show. I landed, and I saw a trailer. I mean, I saw a bumper that, um, that wasn't ours. It was dust. I saw my wife's torn and twisted body. I uh, looked at her, and I thought she was dead. I uh Nellie, my mother-in-law, was, was in the car with us on vacation, as was well my daughter and my daughter's best friend, Layla. Nellie's running to Christine, screaming. I had rolled over, did a quick inventory to see if I was missing any limbs, and then I saw my son, and yeah. uh, I dragged myself over to, to Quentin. And he was still breathing, Um but his eyes were... The pupils were fixed, and there was no blinking. So over the next 20 minutes or so... Um, the breathing wound down His lips began to turn blue you know and and a lot of people Suzanne and I don't have to tell you this but a lot of people would say stop (laughs) Uh, you know what you told me more than enough and Uh when I talk to people I say you know what that's just setting the stage for the the wonderful things that came afterwards I mean because it was at that point that you know, my eyes were open wide. I mean, I write in the book that uh, at the accident scene, and I was not a church-going man, but at the accident scene, I felt God there. With his okay. finger in my forehead saying, hey, Ernie, hey, Jackson, you're out okay. in control, buddy. I've got to work for your son. And okay. um, something miraculous I mean, and that's what a what a what a dichotomy. <laughs> Something miraculous happened at the accident scene, and I really believe it kind of opened some doors for me in a big way. But the young lady who caused this, after she went off the edge of the embankment and climbed up, she walked toward us, and she she went and she went over and saw Christine and and Nellie and Cheyenne and my daughter. Bless her. She uh, she said it's going to be all right, and I really don't know that my daughter. Truly understood in that moment how bad it was. But then uh, this young lady's name was Amanda. She walked over to Quentin and I, and we're on the dirt. We're in the dirt, bleeding, and not a word was spoken. But I looked up at her, and I through her eyes, I saw her soul, and I saw her horror, and I saw her pain. And from a, a certain perspective, that I can explain why, um, I saw her carrying my burden, a burden that I was afraid to carry my whole life. I saw her carrying my burden and my heart broke for her and I immediately forgave her on the spot, without a thought. You
1: knew that that she would have to live the rest of her life knowing that she had caused this tragedy.
2: And that was unacceptable. I did not want her to carry that burden.
1: You know, you say in your book that in your earlier years you used to take tremendous chances with your driving, so much so you were aware you were taking chances and you would ask, Is today the day for me to die?
0: Exactly. I
2: said, so that could awful. have been you. Right, but but after I mean that was it was a compound statement. That was the first statement. It's a day my day. The second part was, please don't let me take anybody with me. You know, and I didn't have any church experience. I, I hadn't read the Bible. I Well, I hadn't read the New Testament. I tried to read the Old Testament at 16, but I, I didn't have any formal training or formal education in, in, in what the Holy Bible had to say. But I had this in my soul that I did not want to be responsible for the death of another. And I I mean, it was a a sacred, it was a, a sacred mantra. So it's from that place of having that said, me saying that to myself numerous times, that I looked through the lens of my eyes into Amanda's soul through her eyes. From that place is where I forgave her. Because it really could have been or, or should have been, could have been or, or should have been me carrying that burden, if not that day, any other day where I took chances. Hmm
1: well wow. i hope that we'll have time in the show to later on readdress the issue of forgiveness because it's it's a huge part of your story but just amazing that on the spot staring there at your son and seeing this woman to forgive her is has had ripple effects
2: um it it, it did and i really i mean i really believe that that spontaneous act of forgiveness made it easier for Quentin to get through to me because I'm a, I'm a regular guy. I mean, I would have been angry. <laughs> I would have been upset. I would have been very heavy and very dense. And in that place of being heavy and dense, as you know all too well, it's really hard to get through. But right. um, that moment, I believe, opened the door for me for Quentin to get through. But he got
1: through quick. <laughs> and what you mean for those who are listening, because I'm an evidential medium and I know with certainty that our loved ones who pass are not dead and gone. They're very much present and trying to get through to us through our consciousness, through our grief from the other side. You're saying that because of that act of forgiveness, because you set aside the the normal human emotions, you created space for Quentin. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly, exactly. I am. I am certain. I am certain. And am, and as Christine, my wife would say, she'd say, "You needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I needed that space to create room for Quentin to act, to get to me, because I would have ripped my. Sh- I mean, I would have ripped myself to shreds in grief and that heavy, heavy grief. Um, you know, I had fleeting moments of that, but thank God and thank Quentin yeah. and thank my guides that Quentin got to me immediately. So, it was five days after the accident. How long? It was it was five days after the accident that it pierced my consciousness that Quentin was alive.
1: How did that happen?
2: Well, the first visit per se was thirty hours after the accident I'm alone in a room and I feel my hand being held. And because I knew it didn't work that way, well, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't have a clue what to expect. It took me a long time to realize I was Quentin, but I knew my hand was being held. And at that time, in that moment, I said, wow, <clears throat> that must be the manifestation of all the prayers. Well, 30 hours after the accident, the prayers are just, just getting going. But it was, to ask your question, Suzanne, it was, it was, it was five days after. Um a medicine man in full gear had come up to our group, our support group in the lobby of the Merritt courtyard and, and basically said, A little boy, I just finished performing a ceremony, a little boy sent me to find you. And then he this medicine man told this to, to Chris and Layla Boldridge, Um somebody named the medicine man told Chris and Layla, somebody named Tom is helping Quentin with his transition. And we'll someday help the parents went on to say that everything's gonna work out fine and actually provided some more detail, but then Chris and Layla hightailed it to the hospital where we were. And and I mean the emotion was unbelievable because as she walked into the room we were having one of those moments where it was dark. I mean mm-hmm. I remember vividly, I was curled up in the corner, very down, imagining Quentin alone in a dark place. And that's you know, that's not a good road to go down, but I was right there on the edge of that path. And
1: And these two women together each saw this medicine man in physical form, correct?
2: Yes. Okay. Do you, do you you want the kicker and you want me to give it to you later?
1: (laughs) I think it's good to give it now. I don't want to lose this moment.
2: Um, and I didn't discover this till later, which is why I didn't include this description when I first introduced the medicine man. Chris, Chris is about, Three years, four years younger than me, she saw the medicine man in full ceremonial gear, with the headdress and the leathers, leathers and the beads, and her daughter saw him in jeans and a (laughs) T-shirt. After he released Chris, he was holding her hands, and she describes the energy she felt coming off him—so calm and love and strong, loving and strong. When he released her hands and turned and walked away, Chris and Layla turned to each other. And basically said to each other, did that just happen? Mm. And they both agreed that it had, and they looked up, and he was gone.
1: And, and his message again was, a little boy sent me, right?
2: Yeah, He. Um, this, was, this was about 8 in the morning. He said, I just finished performing a ceremony, <sighs> and a little boy came to me and sent me to find you. He wants you to know that he's fine. Wow. Somebody named Tom is helping him with his transition, and Tom will be helping the parents at some point. And what all to say the the claim, whatever that is, it's going to take longer than expected, but everything's going to be fine. <laughs> and walked away.
1: <laughs> so, so, who did Tom turn out to be?
2: I don't know, Suzanne. But I tell you what. Christine and I know so many Toms that every time we meet a Tom, we turn and look at each other and we basically say, "I wonder if he's the one." (laughs) But
1: But yet, there's another Medicine Man connection with Amanda, the woman whose car went out of control. Correct?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I. I mean, I. I lit up. I over the course of that day, realizing that that. Clinton is alive and well, just I can't see him anymore. I started talking. That was my grieving process, and I made my first video. My, my loving friends in Denver recorded me seven weeks after the accident, and in that Vimeo video, video that's posted out there, I describe a medicine man at the accident scene very much like I just described. Well, Amanda and her family saw that video, and when we finally met Amanda again one year and 51 weeks after the accident in the courtroom for sentencing where we were fighting for leniency and begging for no jail time for her, afterwards she came to us paddling and crying and talking about a medicine man because she misunderstood and thought that we had seen the medicine man. But she, as she settled down, she said that her grandfather on the other side is a medicine man, and she was curious as to whether or not it was him that came to our support group.
1: <laughs> Very cool. It's just one of many stories, many synchronicities, events, signs that you've had from Clinton. I mean, the, the fact that you felt him squeezing your hand, that was a physical feeling, not just a, a thought, a correct? A physical feeling,
2: yeah. I mean, I mean, and again, I've shared this story so many times, but the words, they just can't possibly convey what it is to experience being alone in a room and knowing that your hand is being held. I mean, and, and, and Quentin and this journey for me, it's all about knowledge and knowing. I mean, you can believe, you can expect, you can hope, but when these things happen, its it's firmer than that. It's knowing. I know my hand is being held. And after a while, you know, after... Uh, weeks a few weeks i realized it was quentin and, and and the obvious question is ernie well how do you know it's like really well quentin has the softest hands and we would always walk hand in hand and he knew he could get to me that way what a and perfect
1: sign and the soft hands you felt the softness of it i love that
2: yeah, yeah. Exactly, and then I mean, and and, and we were, <laughs> and we were just getting going. I mean, now the door is opening up, but it's opening up to a positive place. I saw him in his bedroom about six weeks after the accident. Mm. Um, he was kind of a shadowy figure walking across his bedroom west to east. A little bit taller than he was. I stopped what I was doing and I went and I looked. You know, and Christine says, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I just saw Quentin." <laughs> Oh, man.
1: And Ernie, you know, these signs go on and on, and we're already at the bottom of the hour. I can't believe it. We're going to have to take a break. Please come back and join us. Ernie Jackson has many more stories of his awakening to share with you to show you this is real. Love never dies. You're listening to Unity
0: Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming... Please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Rev. Jim Rosemarie. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself, Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding Your spiritual growth is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness.
2: This meditative moment is brought to you
0: by Unity. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the Law of Attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at EverydayAttraction.com. To join the show, use the live chat window or call now 888 55 Unity. That's 888 558 6489. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi,
1: everybody. I couldn't wait for the break to be over because we're having such a great talk with Ernie Jackson. Ernie is a board member of Helping Parents Heal. He shares with as many people as he can the messages, the legacy of his son, Quentin, who passed in 2009 in a car accident that affected Ernie's entire family. They were hit by a driver who fell asleep at the wheel. Ernie, you say in your book, and by the way, his website is com. That's Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-S, com. Quentin being his son. And Ernie has two books, Quentin's Legacy and Quentin's Messages, that are just filled with spiritual wisdom and the realizations ernie has had because of quentin's transition you say in your book this this is a very brave statement to make but i know that it's true i've talked to so many people who have who have um, gone through the loss of a loved one and, and come out stronger from it you say this is a very bitter pill to swallow that but that because of quentin's transition on a certain level your life improved would you expand on that
2: yeah that is a that is a bitter pill and i i am always reluctant to to share that um publicly because it could be taken the wrong way but i as just as you i've heard many people say the same thing um to answer your question i um i was asleep and I knew I was asleep and I was prepared to live the rest of my life asleep. And my son loved me and loved us so much that, as part of our contract, as I'm told, we had done this before, but I guess we're not going to do it again, which is a good thing. Um, as part of this contract, we this happened. He transitioned suddenly, and it slapped me awake. And yeah, I'm I'm a completely different person. I mean, I was a good person before, but now I'm awake. And now I have a mission, and now I'm driven to share and, and driven to talk. Where before I was just kind of thinking life was kind of winding down.
1: Now, when sense. I say that people are awakened, to me that means we're awakened to who we are—that we are souls first and foremost, having a human experience. That we are the expression of the light of God of Source. Uh, is what is your definition of being awake?
2: Instead of having purpose, having purpose, but but here nine years later, um, you know, for the longest time it was, a, it was great fun and, and to share and talk about the signs, but, but now nine years later, it's like, well, okay, these signs mean that Clinton's still alive. Right. These signs mean that so will I when oh, I yeah. transition, when I cast aside my earthly body. And that takes it to a whole new level because, I mean, and I can preach it and I can talk it, but I'm going to live, I'm living it too. It's like, I'm going to take advantage of this time here to work on the things I sh- I'm struggling with, to work on the proverbial, why does this keep happening to me? Why do I keep feeling this? Because I know why I do and I know why they keep happening to me. It's because I'm supposed to conquer them and maybe conquer the wrong word, but master them, but learn that I don't yeah. have to keep making the same mistakes keep the same thoughts that I thought in the past.
1: This is what I love about this path, that when we have a loved one who passes and we see the the, the light side of it, the, the growth side of it, it's not this work of a medium. It's not just to show people that our loved ones don't die. It's to show us how we can take advantage of that knowledge to make our lives here matter more. And you're just such a beautiful example of someone who's doing that.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I was speaking up in Denver just um, a month ago, and it was a small, intimate group, and I was sharing with all the – I mean, when I talk, I'm just on fire. I just with so much love and passion, and I'm just – I'm sharing, and somebody asked me. <laughs> I, he said, Ernie, do you really believe this? <laughs> and I smiled, and I laughed, and I said, no, I don't believe it. I know it. I oh, my God.
1: These true. are my exact words in the exact a same difference. situation yeah. Good a for you. <laughs> <laughs> you. You say that in the past you lacked the courage and conviction and passion to make certain decisions in your life that you've made since Quentin transition, taking on new responsibilities and such. How, how has that gone for you?
2: It's uh, it's been interesting. Let <laughs> me elaborate. I um, I, I was so before I was so concerned about how people perceived me from the you know from the outside in, and I would mm-hmm. let that dictate what I would do or wouldn't do. And 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 since Quentin's transition, <laughs> I recently shared my resume <laughs> with a group, and um, I said I said you can see since my son transitioned that. I have lots of experience, <laughs> so to answer your question i'm I'm kind of unbound or untied, and i I'm learning even more so to follow and to do what i'm guided to do to do what i'm directed to do and it yeah. i mean it's like it's comical i mean it, the the hits keep coming <laughs> I'm like, I surrender, you tell me where <laughs> I'm supposed to go I'll go <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very good. Well, let's go back to that issue of forgiveness because it's a huge one for so many of us. And you and Christine forgave differently in the incident that, that took your son's life. Is that right?
2: We did very much so, and it's again, it's such a crazy, it's such a a, a crazy dichotomy, if you will, because my wife is a lifelong Catholic, and she knows the Bible and she knows the red print. She's read about it and been, been taught forgiveness, but it, it took her two years. And me, the you know, the proverbial heathen, if you will, that, that didn't have any of that training for forgave immediately. And when I when I talk about that, I mean it's so funny because even though we're taught in the New Testament not to judge, we just can't help ourselves. We want to judge, and I'm like, this is not about judgment. This is not about. I mean, I know better than Christine, and in, in fact, Christine's better than me. It, this is just the way it happened. Well, yeah, it took. So a you didn't years.
1: you didn't judge her for not forgiving, is what you're saying? Not at
2: all. Not. I mean, that that whole minutia was 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 comical because, I mean, I'm still a guy, um, and I still don't always communicate well. Believe it or not. So, the accidents happened. And the months afterward, I i mean, based on what I told you, I know I have forgiven, and I'm living it. I'm talking to the investigators. I ended up, you know, six months later talking to the victim's advocate and the assistant DA. We are forgiving Amanda. And I remember the first time we sat down to talk to the investigator about that, and I made that statement very very strongly, and I turned to Christine to see if she was on board, because <laughs> we really hadn't talked about it. hmm And she was, but um, she ended up forgiving Amanda after she met her at sentencing, and after we spent time together, it was two years and two months together on the reservation where we partook in a ceremony, and Amanda and her family was there.
1: So you actually you befriended them. And and I don't want to get off track, though, if you will forgive me for getting staying on this forgiveness issue here. You actually took the stand in the case to to go over the, the accident that happened. And in the sentencing portion of the court case or beforehand, you got to state that you wanted her, wanted them to go leniently on her. And you had a big realization that most people didn't think like you did there in the courtroom.
2: I did. It was it was surreal. Um, we ended up having to do a victims' advocate statement as the the court date um, came closer. I mean, the judge saw it, the the, the attorney saw it, um, even Amanda and her family saw it. So when we showed up, it was kind of like um, the red carpet was rolled out before us. They just didn't know how to take us. They just couldn't. They had a tough time comprehending what was going on. We asked if we could see Amanda, if we could talk to her afterwards. And the victims advocate and the assistant DA look at each other. The assistant DA look at each other, and and they're like, okay. (laughs) If If Amanda wants to, because typically that process doesn't go well. And Amanda said, yes. So after the sentencing, you know, everybody's gathered around us. They're watching us very close, obviously. Amanda's going straight to jail for ten days and, and the the judge explaining why was quite a, a process. It was a beautiful process to tell you the truth. And she walks up to us and she has her hand out to, to shake our hands. And I wrapped her up in a hug. And I yeah. whispered in her ear. We've been worried about you. Yeah. But yeah, it it I mean that that was surreal, and that and it's
1: a, you know the judge moment. gave her the lightest sentence. Well, it could have given her no, no jail time, but gave her some just so the that there was some lesson learned there. But she walked out of that jail a changed person as well, didn't she?
2: She did because the, the she carried that burden that I wish to take from her. She carried that burden for one year and fifty one weeks. She gained weight. Um, she had bad but, acne. And she got a terrible case of bronchitis. So when she walked into the courtroom, I did not recognize her. I didn't know who she was. I was standing right across the aisle from her, and I'm like, where's Amanda? But after she came out of spending 10 days in uh, the Durango Jail, I believe, her bronchitis was cleared up, and she was healing.
1: And then tell our listeners what happened, what you found out years later about what happened in the very same courtroom where that case was
2: held. (laughs) Well, um, actually, we didn't. We didn't find out years later. We we found out right then and right there, oh. um, because after after we embraced Amanda, and and I, you know after I embraced Amanda, and then Amanda went to embrace Christine and then Cheyenne, and it was hugs all around. It was one of her family members, maybe her uncle, um, pulled me aside and said, "Ernie, it was 1999. We were in this very courtroom." Well, we forgave a drunk driver that took the life of one of our loved ones. And in 1999? And That's the year Quinn was born. Ooh,
1: anybody else and out there like, have goosebumps right now?
2: <laughs> it's like, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Um, in spending time with Amanda that summer, I mean... A short two months after this scene in the courtroom, we're in a car together driving past the accident scene. And she said, Ernie, I remember being driven past this accident scene, this site, when I was six, thinking to myself, what an awful place to have an accident. Uh. (laughs) More goosebumps. Yeah, and it's just... It's beautiful.
1: There's no way to explain these things other than, you know, the dream you had the night before and the feeling you had the night before. Do you believe this was preordained?
2: Yes. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I've said it. I've said it. I've argued it. (laughs) Beyond a shadow of a doubt. This was written in a book a long time ago.
1: And those kinds of things we won't know till we get to the other side, but it certainly has helped to transform you. you. You say now the journey is the only thing that matters. What is the journey?
2: Well, the journey is different for each and every one of us, and it's, and it's an eternal journey. Each and every one of us, we're here to learn something. We're here to grow and evolve in some way that's personal to us. Whether it's overcoming addiction or overcoming greed or learning to be selfless, it's learning to love more, learning to love ourselves, the list goes on and on and on and on. We're all here to work through that, but we're also here to help one another. We're here to share. Yeah. It's just And we're all one. We're all tied together. And it's those moments that I describe in the books, and the, the moments seem to, seem to be happening at an increasing rate where we connect with somebody through spirit. I've had a couple of amazing experiences in the past three weeks that it's like, all right, Quentin, you're working hard, buddy. Oh, no, they never stop, do they? On the other side. That's <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: You, you, you talk about the ripple effect of forgiveness, and and you refer that to the issues with your father you call the 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 emotions you carried around for years related to your relationship with your father a disease that you carried around and then yeah. the forgiveness had a ripple effect with that are you okay with sharing that
2: oh yeah oh yeah no i um <laughs> my father's come through recently as well too um but no i was i was the reason i'm a I think a halfway decent guy is because I chose not to be like my father, but yet and still, I had his rage, I had his anger, and it was within me, and it was it was i mean it was a disease and it really it really wasn't until that scene in the middle of August, two months after the court hearing, where he came to me. And I realized I had forgiven him.
1: What was that scene? We didn't have a chance to discuss that.
2: We, because of Amanda, because I expressed to Amanda, the young lady who caused this accident from a worldly perspective, that I wanted to know more about her culture, we found ourselves participating in a uh, TPTLT ceremony. And the short of it is, Come 5 a.m., where I was thinking, I'm not really getting anything out of this, come 5 a.m., I see my son, and I, and I see my grandmother, Dorothy, and I see a family friend, Jack Childs, and they're laughing at me, and they're smiling, they're loving me, and then I see my father. Wow. And he's laughing at me, and he's smiling with me, and he's loving me. And I broke down right then and right there because he was included. I included him. He was included. And it was that moment I'm like, Dad, we're good. <laughs> we're good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that was a big weight, lots of
2: you. Yeah. It- yeah, it was it was it was it was amazing. He came here recently through uh Thomas Johns and he said, Son, thanks for breaking the cycle.
1: Thanks for breaking the cycle. And thanks what's the cycle? the cycle?
2: I think the cycle is the, the, the cycle of being self centered, um and the cycle of being angry and wanting vengeance. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, my dad was very egotistical. And you know what, Suzanne, I was too. And, well, that's um, that's became... because
1: we, we just don't realize that we're souls. You can see, you can look around. For those of you listening, you know, we're, we're all very much human, but it's when we forget that we're also souls and we get so caught right. up in being human that we do become self-centered. And it's the, this is the beautiful part of the spiritual journey, is remembering how connected we are, that there is far more to this story than just the drama.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: exactly. And I—I I mean, I'm—I'm I'm continuing on my journey. Um, my my goal, right or wrong, sometimes I'm misguided, but my goal is to to make my ego as possibly as small as possible, and to only serve others. And it's not about me. It's about how can I serve? Who can I serve? And in that place, for me, some truly magical things are happening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's instant payback, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. You don't do it to get have those magical things. They're just the natural result of taking the focus off of the self. It's beautiful.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Do you have a, a favorite? Another favorite incident that happened with Quentin? Just a life changing. Another one of many moments.
2: Well, there was a. Uh his his he came to me in a I mean I I hate even using the word dream visit. I mean he visited with me and it was crystal clear it was four months after the accident. And when I have incidents like this, when I have a dream visit, I've learned to recognize them for what they are because they're so vivid and because they come at odd times. Like like, like you know, after five AM in the morning or six AM in the morning or seven AM in the morning. But He came to me, and I saw his shadow at my feet. It was in the afternoon. It was a vivid dream. I knew who it was. I stepped out, and I turned around to look at him, fully expecting he would dissolve, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but he didn't. I saw him in all his glory. He was wearing a, a hooded robe. I could see the expressions on his face. His hair was cut short. He was not only surprised that I could see him, but he was anxious because he knew what was about to happen. Meanwhile, I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, wow, this has all been a dream. All of this, the accident, everything, this, there's Quentin, and I'm just yelling. I shouted his name three times, and on the third time, I was awake. Each time I shouted his name, I was closer to consciousness. He saw this happening. The second time I called out his name, he had already ripped off his robe. But the third time I called out his name, he had jumped off the deck. My hands were outstretched. When I opened my eyes, being awake, I felt him within me. Ooh. Ooh. Oh Wonderful. My. Oh, my. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, and the, thing, the thing, Suzanne, is I didn't – it's overused. I didn't know it worked like this. I didn't have many, if any, in my life to explain this to, to explain this to me, to help me bounce this off of them. So I was experiencing all of this from a place of a blank slate, which made it even all the more powerful.
1: Yeah. And you encourage people now to do their own, you put it in quotes, research. How How do people learn more about this besides listening to radio shows like this? What helped you?
2: reading um i I did begin this i mean i we we saw um Rebecca Rosen in uh in Cherry creek Colorado we did be her um mm-hmm. twice and um we ex- we experienced a past life regression group that was working up in evergreen you know and it's doing research is going out and exposing yourselves to maybe those things that you thought were woo woo or strange before. But to answer your question more directly, Suzanne, for me, it was reading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when that, that moment, it pierced my consciousness that my son is alive, that he loves me so much that he got word to me that he's alive. My next thought was, why didn't I know? I mean, and I was ashamed that I didn't know. And it was from that place that I began to read, and I discovered this knowledge is everywhere. It's everywhere. And I, I mean, I I never, I mean, fuck, I don't want to be from that, that place of, trying to come across like the expert so i just tell people guess what there's more now go do your own research and find out what that means for you yeah and and test
1: things in your heart how does it feel i'm sure that you you know there is some there i tell people woo woo is relative (laughs) (laughs) and so (laughs) you know for for some people What's very normal to me now as a former Navy officer, now a medium, very normal to other people is over-the-top woo-woo. So so just test things, and I'm sure that you, Ernie, found things that were way out there, and you set them aside, but you just test it in your heart.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And it's just beautiful. And I love that. I love meeting one-on-one with somebody who maybe doesn't quite get it, doesn't quite see it. And I meet with them one-on-one, and I share what we experience from my heart. I raise their vibration with my words and my heart. And most times, they have a moment as the light bulb comes on, and they're like, you know what? That happened to me. That happened to me. I'm like, yeah, there you go. That was your daughter. That was your son. That was your dad. That was your mom. How does that feel?
1: That's what makes you such a beautiful ambassador for helping parents heal and other organizations because here you are, you walk the talk and you're the men, I've seen them listen to you and they, they kind of hang on your words because if you can believe this and you can transform this way, then maybe they're not going to be weird or strange or uh, looked down upon for believing. And that's what our soul wants us to do is just to be open so that the the messages can get through.
2: Exactly. I mean, and I I go so far now as to say, you know, once we get it, once we come through the fire and we wake up and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's more, now we've got a sacred obligation to help others with their journey and to share this information. We need to talk. The the world needs us Mm -hmm. talking right now.
1: But I love it, Ernie. You don't push it on anybody. You just share the information and let others take it in. And we are already down to just about a minute to go here. Your 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 first book is called Quentin's message, Messages. What is his basic message?
2: Basic message is guess what, everybody? Guess what, y'all? There's more. <laughs> There's no death. <laughs> There's no death. And that's coming from a place of somebody who didn't have a clue. Guess what? There's no death. Let's celebrate that. yeah
1: and it's about love it's about compassion wow and you walk the talk anything you want any final words you want to say for folks
2: please realize that you are eternal please realize that whatever you're struggling with whatever adversity you're going through there's purpose to all of it examine it learn from it and grow from it Mm -hmm.
1: Nice. You say that you know some people lose their faith after a tragedy. You feel as if you found God through this accident. So in a way, that is a major blessing.
2: Yes, it is. It's a huge blessing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you heard from Quentin?
0: Well,
2: Quentin's been busy lately. Uh, I was in Dallas uh, just. Uh, Monday through Wednesday, and um, Quentin and a young man named Evan conspired for me to meet his mom. So, to answer your question, just yesterday, or well, day before yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: it, I, I I I'll bet for you. We just never down to just thirty seconds here. It, has it lost its magic?
2: Not at all. <laughs> it's it's wonderful every single time. I just smile and say, hey, Quentin, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> no, it has not lost its magic. You and how hear it often in my you voice. talk to Quentin? And more and more. I mean, I, I, I talk to him every single day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because he's still here. Thank you all Thank you. for joining us. Ernie, you've inspired me tremendously. I hope that those of you listening want to get out and do your own research. Please talk to your loved ones and know that they hear you.